0: Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 is where we're going to be. So we continue talking about the unity of the church. Now, of course, as with many books through the Scripture, uh, there are transitional passages, transitional places uh, that, are, that will take place uh, from topic to topic. Of course, uh, when we deal in the book of 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters are uh, dealing with this topic of unity and unity within the church. And so we're going to continue with that um, as we get in uh, in the coming weeks ahead. Uh, remember, back in chapter 1, uh, Paul uh, reported and said that it hath been declared unto me, in verse 11, uh, unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Um, and he talks about in the verses prior to that, the unity, uh, that is desired that everyone be of the same mind, of the same place. And, and so he's stressing the unity. Uh, chapter four, uh, is the, uh, the pinnacle part of that, uh, emphasis on unity. Uh, when we get into chapter five, uh, Paul is going to begin addressing uh, the um, the report that he'd received. Uh, he's going to start putting in uh, some of the correction. Uh, now, it's interesting, though, as he deals with that, that he does deal with the unity first. He deals with the unity first because what he's getting at is everyone needs to have the unity. Everyone needs to have that, because if you just start off with correction, you're going to get some uh, some blowback, if you will. Uh, you're going to get some uh, defensive structuring of, of that, and, and it causes that friction. And so in these first four chapters, he's dealing with and getting this church to a place that they would be unified because, again, the Apostle Paul knows what's coming. Uh, he knows he's going to have to start making some corrections, and, and so he focuses upon the unity first uh, so that he can prepare them uh, for the correction time. And so, uh, just kind of a, a preview of uh, what's ahead there. Um, but in chapter number 4, uh, he starts off in verse number 1 by saying, "...let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, but with me..." It is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, That no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou, or what thou, that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now, ye are full. Ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools. For Christ's sake. But ye are wise in Christ. We are weak. Ye are strong. Ye are honorable. But we are despised. This evening, I want to take through the fourth chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians and give a sermon entitled The Teachable Spirit of Unity. The Teachable Spirit of Unity. And so we'll look at this this evening. Uh, let's pray together, and we'll get started. Our heavenly Father, again, I thank Thee, God. You have given uh, so very much to us, Father. In the verses we just read, it, it speaks about how uh, these this church was rich and reigned as kings. And Father, I, I would dare say, in comparison to uh, to many. Uh, we are rich this evening uh, in, in many aspects. If we compared ourselves to uh, other regions of the world or uh, maybe even other regions in our country, uh, Father, we would have to say we're rich. We're rich in Your blessings. And so, Father, I pray tonight that as we continue through this uh, beautiful book of 1 Corinthians, that You would uh, guide our thinking that You would guide our our process here um, as we consider this fourth chapter and the teachable spirit of unity. Uh, God, that's our desire uh, to be teachable, to learn, uh, to to come away from Your Word uh, better uh, because we've been in it. And uh, we ask these things uh, in the wonderful name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, three things here in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 4 uh, that I want to give you tonight. I'm not going to keep you very long, uh, but three basic understandings of having a teachable spirit of unity around us. Now, I say that uh, and, and go through that. What I went over earlier, I say it again. Uh, this is, these are, these are, not this are, Uh, These are the concluding thoughts on unity from Paul. And so he's putting this all together, uh, and not that he is not teaching uh, throughout these books, but again, uh, when we get into chapter 5, he's going to begin making some corrections on what he had been informed of. Um, and, And so he's trying to get them to a place that they are unified in the Spirit and in Christ and in God. And so, uh, in order to do that, there has to be a teachable spirit. There has to be a spirit that is willing to learn, that is willing to take in things, and and maybe even to uh, think uh, differently than we have before. And I will tell you, it is not always easy uh, to think differently, is it? Um, when, when we have, uh, when we have in our minds the way that we think it ought to be, uh, and I think this probably gets maybe a little bit worse the older we get, uh, when we have a particular way of doing things, or we have a particular mindset, uh, to come in and say, why don't you try this, uh, it can be, uh, not always received with a teachable spirit. Um, I, I can give you my, my from my own experience uh coming in. Uh but having that teachable spirit is what teach what keeps us pliable within that. And Paul deals with that uh in this first in these first seven verses as we look at number one, the unity and learning. Uh the unity and learning. In verse number one, he says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. He says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The first thing I want you to see within this unity of learning is, first off, a faithfulness in stewardship. Now, in stewardship, we typically look at this uh, concerning something that one has been placed in charge of placed in charge of. And within this, we uh, typically look at stewards in a financial realm. Uh, They would typically, as stewards, would take over uh, the financial aspect of what has been given, and they would give an account of what has been given, how it was spent in all of that, we try very, uh, very diligently uh, here at Bailey Road uh, to give an account of offerings that come in. And we want to be the best stewards that we can be uh, with the Lord's money that is coming in. And so, therefore, we give an accounting of what is spent and where it is spent. Uh, because, again, we want to be faithful in our stewardship. But I want you to take note here uh, within verses 1 and 2, while, again, we typically apply uh, even these two verses uh, in the realm of financial uh, aspects, but that's not what Paul is dealing with here in verses 1 and 2, is it? Notice what he says and pay very uh, special attention here as he says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards, but notice, not of the finances, not of the money, but he says, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That a man be found faithful. Now within this unity that Paul is uh, getting at with this church is the mysteries of God. It could also be proclaimed as the gospel. We have been placed in charge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mysteries of God is the fact that God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die on a cross of Calvary that He was buried, rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, that the message was given to the Jew first, but then also to the Gentile to partake of the blessed uh, experience of salvation and have the gift of eternal life. Now again, in that plan, it was a mystery not yet revealed until Christ came. Really, until Christ was ascended into heaven as the gospel was taken to the Jews and then extended to the Gentiles. And Paul is saying here as a church, as this church at Corinth, as this church here in North Jackson at Bailey Road Baptist Church, we have been charged as stewards with the mysteries of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to be unified in this. We've got to be unified in the fact that we should be faithful to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says we have a faithfulness in stewardship. Now, this is about learning as well. And in this, uh, we have to understand, again, uh, you can say, all right, you're in charge of this. But what if you don't know what you've been placed in charge of? I I remember uh, when, when my parents would leave the house, and I have a sister who is two years older than I am. And for uh, whatever reason, my parents would often say uh, when they would leave the house as we were young teenagers, uh, they would look at me and they would say, your sister's in charge. Now, she could barely take charge of herself during those times. A lot of times, I remember one time in particular when they said she was in charge, uh, we, as many siblings do, uh, we uh, we would fight and we would bicker. Uh, and I, I remember I was in the fifth grade and she was in the seventh grade. And uh, we, we were fighting and she went out of the house and I decided that I would do uh, the brotherly thing. And I locked the door. I will tell you, that did not please the one who was in charge. She was not pleased at all. And as she was pounding on the door, we had one of those nine-pane windows in the back of the house and she went from the front door uh, to the back door and she uh, knocked and she knocked and she knocked until she put her arm through the window. Yeah. Yeah. Her arm through the window. It cut her wrist uh, this way as she went through uh, and opened it up. I I saw things that I uh, wished I had never seen. Uh, And it was a very deep wound. Uh, It was a very bad wound. And uh, of course, she went from yelling and anger to crying and sadness and pain and anguish. And I felt responsible for that. But at the end of the day, she was responsible. You know why? Because when my parents left, they said, you're in charge. You're in charge. And as the one in charge, she did not necessarily handle herself well, did not handle herself right. Those things could have been avoided, uh, within that had she taken better charge of me. But really, uh, at the end of the day as well, we have to consider, uh, you know, even in that, uh, can a 13 year old really be in charge responsibly of an 11 year old? That's debatable. Uh, I'm sure we could have that debate if we wanted to. Uh, But imagine, though, we have been given charge of the mysteries of God. This is where our unity and learning must come into place. This is where our faithfulness and stewardship must come into place in that we have to learn, first of all, what is the mysteries of God? What are the mysteries of God? I've explained it to you in that it is the gospel, and we have been placed in charge of that. We have to have learning and a unity in learning in in what is faithfulness. That is to be faithful in the giving out and the explanation of the mysteries of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have the faithfulness and stewardship, this unity of learning. The second thing I want you to see within this unity of learning is a fairness in judgment. A fairness in judgment, I, I will say, as we look at this, the Bible says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Now This is interesting. Now again, this may require you and may require me to learn something here and change our outlook on what is taking place here. Now Paul says, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Now we have in our culture, I can remember this even as a young boy, as a young teenager, even into a young adult, and a middle-aged adult where I am at now. A common response A common response when there is judgment taking place is a very simple, don't judge me. You ever said that before? You ever come across with the idea of, wait a second, who are you to judge me? I've had that response before. I've had that attitude before. I've said before, the Bible says don't judge. Don't judge. And yet, Paul has a totally different attitude here in verse number 3 as he says, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Paul says, basically, it's not a big deal for me to be judged of you. Now, he's going to teach them something here, but I want you to get this first. In a fairness of judgment, it ought not bother us at all to be judged. Because, hey, you know what? If I'm wrong, I want somebody to tell me I'm wrong. I may not receive it always well, But I truly want to be told I'm wrong. Now, you might have to convince me I'm wrong. I might have to convince you that you're wrong. But if a fairness of judgment, he says, it is a very small thing. He doesn't even say it's a small thing. He says, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Because then he says, yea, I judge not my own self. You see, really, what we say and what we mean when we say, don't judge me, is basically, I'll judge myself. But Paul says, no, no, no. He says, I can't judge my own self. Verse 4, he says, for I know nothing by myself. He says, everything I know I've been taught. He says, yet, am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now, in this, he's teaching two things within this fairness of judgment. One, he's saying, if somebody else judges me, it's really no big deal. It's really a very small thing for I don't know anything of myself, he says, but yet within this I am not hereby justified. Or am I not hereby justified? Let me say it that way, I apologize. Misspoke there. Yet am I not hereby justified, saying, you can judge me all you want, but I've already been justified, because he that judgeth me is the Lord. And this is what we have to understand. For someone else to judge me, it is not for me to get bent out of shape. It is not for me to get an attitude. It is not for me to get defensive. Because here's the deal, when we get defensive, you know what that causes? Disunity. It causes disunity. It causes a disruption within that when we get on the defensive of what is happening, but there also has to be some understanding within this fairness of judgment, as he says, verse number 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. So he says, again, two things. He says, if somebody judges you, if somebody judges me, and he's using himself here, he said, it's a very small thing, no big deal. Let it be. Let it go. But also understand that it's really not that place to judge because it's God that's going to judge me. He says, therefore, the third thing he says here within this fairness of judgment is, don't judge. And if you do judge, as a matter of fact, he says, why don't you wait until it's time, until the Lord came or comes. Who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. What he's saying is, you you and I will never have enough of the story to pass judgment. But God does. God does. And when he comes back, he's going to judge the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of heart. And then shall every man. Have praise of God. Fairness and judgment only comes from God. That's where the fairness of judgment comes in, and so we have to have this unity of learning, this unity of learning, as he says, faithful uh, faithfulness and stewardship, a fairness and judgment. But the third thing I want you to see is the failure of pride. The failure of pride. There must be a unity of learning to understand there's a failure in pride. In verse number 6, he says, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred myself and to Apollos for your sakes. For your sakes. That ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. So again, we've already learned part of this difficulty that they had at this church of Corinth was uh, they, they were saying things like, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Christ. And there were divisions among them because of this. And, and Paul is bringing that up again for a third time in this comparison game here. But notice what he says The reason of it is, is in the latter part of verse number 6, as he says that none of you be puffed up for one against another. The idea of being puffed up is to be inflated with vanity or pride. To be puffed up means to be inflated with vanity, which is emptiness, or of pride. And he says there's a failure of pride. When we get into this, and when we get out of this idea of a unity, you see, unity causes us to set aside pride, to set aside what I want. Now, look, I know we can come in, and, and we can, uh, with the right, with the right spirit, or really, I should say, with the wrong spirit, uh, and I and I. So, I'm going to say, with the right spirit, uh, we can come in and I understand what I mean when I finish this, Uh, it's not the right spirit, it's the wrong spirit, but what I mean is with the right spirit, I I can come in and I can bully my way into a decision. But bullying is not a way of getting things done, is it? Running over people and speaking over people and talking over people just to get what I want. No, where does that come from? It comes from pride. It comes from an attitude of pride, and he says in verse number seven, "For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou? Or sorry, this is this is the confusing trip me up earlier. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it?" so he asks this question here. He's saying you, you received something, but you act as if you didn't receive it. And you have a great deal of pride within this. And it comes down to the fact that we need to learn not to think of men above that which is written. Above that which is written of God. Of that which is written of Christ. We must have a unity in learning about a faithfulness in stewardship, a fairness in judgment. It is God that judges, and we have to have a learning of the failure of pride. Now, when we get into verse number 8, we see the transitioning taking place within this chapter as he says, now ye are full. You're full. He says, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. He transitions from this unity and learning. And he's going to give them a lesson on a unity and long-suffering. He starts off by giving the church's present circumstances. He says, now ye are full. Full. It says you have pretty much everything you could want. I remind you as we looked in the very first chapter and we began this study of the church at Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a very prosperous city. It was in those days a metropolitan city. Much trade had come through. the uh, The the uh, the economy was thriving within this city of Corinth. And the church profited from that. The people of the church profited from that. And Paul says, ye are, now, ye are full. He says, now ye are rich. He says, you're rich. He says, ye have reigned as kings without us. And he says, I would to God ye did reign that we also might reign with you. He said, this church had a superiority within their present circumstances. They reigned as kings. They made decisions that were best for them. But as he gives the church's present circumstances, he gives a comparison of the apostles' circumstances. In verse number 9, he says, For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, unto angels, and to men. He says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. He says, we don't even know where we're going to live, where we're going to lay our head tonight. He said, in labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the off of all things unto this day. Verse 14, he says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. He says, church at Corinth, this is where you're at today. This is where you're at today. Prosperous everything you want anything you want Uranus Kings but look where we're at and he compares the circumstances now I'm just going to tell you there's not there's not a person in their right collective mind that would desire to trade places. And Paul even says, "says I don't write these things to shame you, but as as my beloved sons, I warn you." Now the warning was not a, a a warning of this is going to happen to you because you're bad or evil or anything like that because that's not why it happened to the apostles, is it? The warning is that he's giving is that circumstances can change at any time. Circumstances can change. And in verse number 16, he says, Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Be ye followers of me. Now, we... We sometimes look at that and I, I, I will tell you if I if I or someone else stood up here in the pulpit this evening or any other evening that said, hey, you know what, you just need to follow me. And you know what I mean in that spirit? You just need to follow me. That's not the spirit that Paul has in this. It's not the context that Paul has in this. Look at the context of what's taking place. He says, you are full, you are rich, you have reigned as kings. He says, and I would to God that you would reign like that. He says, but look at the apostles. What we've been through. Pointed unto death, made a spectacle of the world to angels, to men. Simply just means before them. We're fools, for Christ's sake. It says you're wise in Christ. We're weak. You're strong. You're honorable, but we are despised. Even under this present hour, we're both hungry and thirst, and naked and buffeted. Have no certain dwelling place. Labor, working of our own hands. Being reviled, we blessed. Being persecuted, we suffered. Being defamed, we entreat. We're made as of the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons I warn you. But though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. where Paul is inviting them to follow is not necessarily in his example, but more so in his experience. What he's saying here is where you're full, you're rich, you reign as kings, but I wouldn't trade you places. I wouldn't trade you places. As a matter of fact, why don't you follow me in this area of long suffering? Because there's much more to learn in this long sufferingness than what you will ever learn in being full. You think about that. You think about that. You've probably, as individuals, you've probably, probably learned more in and through adversity than you have in prosperity. And that is what Paul is saying to follow. That is what Paul is saying. Follow me. Follow me into this adversity. You'll learn a whole lot more. Matter of fact, not only that, but we're talking about unity, aren't we? When do folks unify more? In times of prosperity, or times of adversity? Think about it. Think about it on 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 days like 9/11, 2001. One of the most horrific days our country's ever seen. People in fear, not knowing what was taking place. But what happened in that? As a country, we unified, didn't we? It wasn't in a time of prosperity. As a matter of fact, I mean, there are days when we've been, uh, haven't been more prosperous, and yet we see the division. We see the fightings among us as a country. Paul said, follow me. You've been here. These are your circumstances. These are my circumstances. I wouldn't trade you for any of it. As a matter of fact, you should just follow me into this. A unity in long-suffering, a unity in learning. Number three, in order to have these, there must be a unity in lowliness. In verse number 17, he says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? So what would you have? I give you three things considering this unity and lowliness. And then we'll close. But I say a lowly mind learns more easily. A lowly mind learns more easily, or we could even say learns more readily. A lowly mind. He says, I'm sending Timothy to you. He says, oh, he's my beloved son. He knows me well. He's faithful in the Lord. He's going to teach you some things. But then he says, now some of you are puffed up, as though I would not come to you. You see, they didn't want Timothy to come. They said, we don't want Timothy, we want Paul, the apostle. He ought to come himself. We deserve it. They're puffed up in their pride and vanity, inflated with it. But Paul says, I, I'll come. I'll come. we will not know the speech of them which are puffed up but the power. See, a lowly mind says, I can learn from anyone. I can learn in anything, in any circumstance puffed-up mind says, he can't teach me anything. What does he know? He's he's just a kid. I, I remember I struggled. I began pastoring when I was 25 years old. I, I wasn't ready. Uh, I didn't feel like I was ready. I, I'll be 44 next month. I still don't think I'm ready in many aspects i remember at 25 years old sitting in my office trying to get a message and i i didn't have again i didn't have a clue from week to week what i was going to preach and i remember calling my pastor and i asked him i said I said preacher i said why would they listen to me a 25 year old kid He says, well, you're right. But nobody wants to listen to a 25-year-old kid. I didn't expect that. I expected some encouragement from him. But he said, Aaron, he said, it's not about who you are. It's about the Word of God. He said, and if you will just preach the Word and be faithful to the Word of God, it doesn't matter how old you are. Because it's God's Word that gives the truth, not you as the preacher. Some were puffed up. in this church of Corinth. So we don't want Timothy, we want Paul. But a lowly mind learns more easily. Let me say secondly about a lowly spirit leans on God's power. Notice Paul said, I will come to you. And I'll come shortly if the Lord will. And we'll know not the speech of them which are puffed up, But notice what he says here in verse 19, but the power. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Listen, we can lean on our own power. We can lean on bank accounts. We can lean on our abilities. Or we can decide in unity to lean on God's power. Lean on God's power. Because it's not about you and I. It's not about you and me. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And a lowly spirit leans on God's power. Let me say number three. A lowly attitude lives in meekness. He says, what what will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love? In the spirit of meekness. He says, you you want me to come into you as a church and just simply take a rod and beat you like a child? Or would you rather me come in love? In the spirit of meekness. I tell you, a lowly mind learns more easily. A lowly spirit leans on God's power. And a lowly attitude lives in the spirit of meekness. Meekness is that of a soft temper, that of a mildness, one that forbears under injuries and does all without murmuring or complaining or fretting of what would come. A lowly attitude lives in meekness. It's the teachable spirit of unity. Unity in learning. Unity in long suffering. A unity in lowliness. I don't know where you're at tonight. You could be you could be puffed up with pride. I, I don't know. I I don't come to judge. For God will. I would invite you this evening to invite God to try you, to judge you, to judge your spirit, to judge your attitude, to judge your faithfulness and stewardship, your fairness and judgment, that God would explore our present circumstances. That we might be compelled to follow Him wherever. That we would have a unity in lowliness. That we might see God do something amazing here at Bailey Road Baptist Church. We'll have every head bowed, every eye closed this evening.